Father, we just come to you today, and Lord, first of all, we just just ask for your peace, Lord, during this very difficult time. Lord, we ask for you to 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 work in all of our lives uh, to to make us more like Jesus, to use this time, Lord, to refine us and to grow us and to help us to learn to trust you and to, to, to live for you, Lord, and to live for one another. That's what you've called us to do. And, and Lord, difficult times like this uh, really bring the best out of the church. And that's what we want to see happening here at Calvary Chapel of Lafayette, Lord. We want to see the very best come out of this church. Lord, today as we look at this text and we look at the... Uh, situation that Judah's in, uh, and, and as he tries to live out his dream, Lord, I just ask that we look at this story and we apply it to, to the situation we're in today, because all of us enter a situation, Lord, where it seems that our dreams are going up in smoke, but Lord, through this lesson, we can see that that's not necessarily so, Lord, that you have a plan for each and every one of us, and Lord, that you're going to fulfill that plan in our life, uh, if we'll just trust you and stay by you and turn to you and turn from our wicked ways. And, Lord, uh, we can see great things happening in our lives and the lives of others. Lord, uh, we pray, pray especially today for uh, Kristen Hawkins and uh, who might have this disease and just ask for your, a quick healing for her, Lord, for protection over her family. Father, anybody else here that's suffering any of these uh, symptoms, Lord, we just ask for your your hand of protection over them, for healing for them. And, Lord, we do ask for your protection over all of us to, to keep us from getting this virus. And, Lord, we, we just, we're going to trust you through it, that your will is going to be done. And, Lord, again, we just, just thank you for your grace, the grace we have in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, the fact you've given us your word to encourage us in, in, in all sorts of times, but especially in difficult times like we're living in today. So, Lord, I just ask by the power of your spirit that, that, Lord, we, we are encouraged by your word today. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, one of the consequences of the coronavirus that uh, our nation and the world is going through right now is that many dreams and visions that we had for our life seem to be being destroyed right before our very eyes. For older Americans who were counting on a retirement plan, uh, that was their dream. They had a dream of retirement. Uh, uh, this uh, crash in the stock market caused by uh, this virus uh, seems to uh, put, that, uh, put that maybe uh, that dream on hold or, or even might, for some people that dream might have been decimated by this stock crash. Uh, we look at business owners uh, who were building their dream of, of, of building a business that would provide security for, for their families and for, them, for their future. And, and uh, Lord, uh, that dream seems to be uh, in deep jeopardy. Uh, we look at the American worker uh, who, who was dreamed of job security and future advancement in his job. And, and Lord, that, that dream seems to be in in, in deep trouble. Uh, we look at athletes and coaches who had dreams of championships and great achievements in their sport, and, and uh, uh, those dreams seem to be crushed, at least for now. We look at school children who had dreams of graduating this year and, and uh, celebrating their graduation with proms and graduation ceremonies, and, and all of that's on hold for the foreseeable future. 
And I could go on and on uh, talking about the destruction of people's dreams and destruction of their visions. But, but uh, uh, suffice to say that this virus really seems to be a dream killer. But here's a question I want to pose to you today. Is it really a dream killer? Uh, I'm going to make the case in this text that we're going to be looking at today that, that uh, uh, it might not necessarily be a dream killer for those of us who know the Lord. And in fact, for those of us who know the Lord, it very well might be a dream maker. The Lord might very well be using these circumstances to help make our dreams come true. Uh, and for sure he's going to use these circumstances uh, as part of his plan to make his dream for our life come true. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter number 38. And if you remember back in chapter 37, we saw Joseph had two dreams. He had two dreams that were actually given to him by God himself, dreams about his future. And the message in both of the dreams that God gave him was the same. Uh, one day, uh, he would occupy such an important position in the world that uh, not only would his brothers bow down to him, but his father would bow down to him and his father's wife. Uh, and so, uh, and it all looked like, hey, things were going to go that way. I mean, it seemed like all of that was happening in his life. Remember, his father made him that coat of many colors and and that coat signified the fact that he was the chief herdsman over the, over the sheep. He was head of his father's business, and he was master over his brothers. But his brothers didn't buy into that, that uh, deal. And uh, they were sort of like the coronavirus. They were like, a, for Joseph, they were like dream killers. And, and when Joseph came to check on them, we saw last week, uh, when they were in Dothan, they scoffed at him. And they'll say, we'll see what comes. I mean, here comes that dream dreamer. We'll see what comes of his dreams now. And they grabbed him and they threw him in the pit. And it was their intent to kill him and kill his dreams along with him. But in God's perfect timing, as God always acts within his perfect timing or on his perfect timing, a group of Midianite traders showed up and those traders uh, uh, Judah saw those traders. He said, look, instead of killing our brother, let's sell our brother to these Midianite tra traders and, and he'll be a slave and he'll be out of our, our, our sight and out of our minds for the rest of our life and his dreams will never come true. And so they traded him to those Midianite traders for 20 pieces of silver. And then they took his coat of many colors and they killed a goat and they dipped it in the goat's blood and uh, they brought it to Jacob, and Jacob saw it, and Jacob uh, assumed at that point that Joseph was dead, and he went into deep mourning. And uh, in the very last verse, if you look at it, of chapter 37, it says, The Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Now, so here's Joseph. Uh, he's heartbroken. He's been rejected by his brothers. He's a slave in a foreign land. He can't even speak the language. And as far as he's concerned, his dreams have been killed by these dream killer brothers of his. But is that really the case? No, that wasn't the case, as we'll see in future lessons. That wasn't the case at all. Actually, everything his brothers did were actually helping to make his dreams come 
true. So God works in strange ways. Well, now, in the meantime, uh, as we go to chapter 38, and we pick up in verse number 1, this story is going to take a strange turn. We're going to look at a different man with different dreams. Uh, Instead of Joseph, the story's going to break, and we're going to go and we're going to look at uh, Joseph's older brother uh, situation and his dreams. We're going to look at Judah. Now, there are some critics that come to chapter 38, and they say, oh, look at this. I mean, here's this uh, story that doesn't seem to have any purpose. It doesn't seem to come in proper order. It interrupts the story of Joseph. And so, really, that's proof that the Bible is just this hodgepodge of unrelated stories kind of put together by a bunch of men, but it really doesn't have any real purpose. Well, I got news for them. Chapter 38 actually is proof that the Bible is, uh, uh, has meaning and purpose and that it is given to us in perfect order by the inspiration of God. Now, at first sight, and we'll be looking at this in just a minute, you look at this story in chapter number 38, and it's this sordid tale of evil. I mean, it, could, it, it, it sounds more like a soap opera or an X-rated movie than it does a story that belongs in the Bible. But it has a crucial place in the Bible. And let me show you why. If you go back to chapter 37, look down at verse number 2. And it says, this is the history of Jacob. Chapter 37, verse number 2. This is the Toledoth. We've seen that word Toledoth over and over again in the book of Genesis. And what the Toledoth is, it's the, it's the, the genealogy that leads to David that eventually leads to Christ. And so we were introduced to these stories of, of Judah and the stories of Joseph with this Toledoth. This is the history of Jacob that leads to, to David, that leads to Christ. And so that's the most important theme of Genesis, is this Toledoth. It began with the creation of man and the generation of man. And now we're heading to the generation of the Messiah. And so this section is here. And this chapter is here because it has a lot to do with the genealogy of David and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It has to do with the line of Judah. See, the Christ doesn't come through the line of Joseph. Christ comes through the line of Judah. Christ is the, uh, the line, L-I-O-N, of Judah. And so uh, it makes perfect sense that this chapter is here. And it's as important as any chapter in the Bible. And it comes in perfect order. Now, let me make the case of why it comes in perfect order. Here's what's happened now at this point. Judah and his brothers have committed this dastardly deed against Joseph. They've sold their own brother into slavery. They've lied to their father, and their father's gone into this deep mourning. And they thought when they sold Joseph off into slavery, that everything eventually would be okay, their father would get over it, and everything would go back to normal, but it didn't happen that way. Joseph, Joseph is still mourning for his father. And so every time they hear Joseph cry, and Ju- Judah hears Joseph cry, and he looks into his brother's eyes, and they look at each other, and, and, and what do they feel at that point? They feel guilt, and he can't get over the guilt. And so he, he wants out. I mean, when he sees his father's... When he hears his father's cry, it's just a reminder of what he had done, and he wants out. He wanted out because he had his own dreams. He wanted to have a wife. He wanted to have children. Maybe even at some point he wanted to have grand- 
children. He wanted to have his own business. He wanted to have his own herd. And so he had his own dream, a simple dream, but it was his dream. And, and so, no doubt, he went to his father and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance. And, uh, and I think Jacob was ready to get rid of him, and so he said, yeah, take it. So, we, so he, he grabbed his inheritance, and that's where we pick up in chapter number 38. Uh, pick up with me down in verse number 1, chapter 38, verse number 1. And it came to pass, listen to this now, at that time, now is this in perfect order? The Bible tells us it's in perfect order. It came to pass at that time. What was that time? When Joseph had been sold into slavery and Jacob was in deep mourning. And, and, and all of the brothers were feeling guilt for what they had done, especially Judah. I think Judah more than any other felt guilt for what he had done. And so it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. He just couldn't look his brothers in the eye anymore without feeling guilt, without feeling shame and for what they had done to Joseph. And so, so he wanted out. And, and so he departed from his brothers, he departed from his father, and he visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hera. Now, so what he does, he has a friend in Adulam named Hera, and he moves just a few miles away from Hebron and where his father lives, and he moves, he takes his herd that his, that his father's allowed him to take or given him as his inheritance, and he moves to Adulam, and he wants to fulfill his dream. He wants to have a wife, he wants to have children, and eventually he wants to have grandchildren. Now look at verse number 2. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Now the daughter's name wasn't Shua, the Canaanite who, who her father's name was Shua. We don't know her name. We're not given her name. I think there's a reason for that. I think the main reason is that she's not part of the line of Jesus Christ. She's not part of that Toledoth that we looked at in 37 chapter, in chapter 37, verse 2. And he was married to her, and he went into her and, and had relationships with her. And so, so he's going to fulfill his dream, and he's gonna have, he, he wants to have a wife, and he wants to have children. Then in verse number 3, it says, So, so, he, so she conceived and bore a son, and, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again, and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again, and bore a son, and called his name Shelah. Now the names here, I'm not going to get into the meanings of the names because they have no uh, relation to to the, or they don't give us any insight into the text, so it's not worth fooling with. But anyway, those are the names of the three sons. And then it says Judah was at Chesim, which was just a few miles away from Adullam when she bore the last son, Sheila. So, so what's happened here, now Judah, Judah has three sons in very quick succession, uh, uh, probably about a year apart. And uh, uh, by the time he has Sheila, he's moved to Chesim, and Chesim, rather, and it's just a few miles away from Adullam. And then about 15 years pass, about 15 years pass, and she doesn't have any more children, and so he's ready for grandchildren. So in verse number uh, 6, it says, Then Judah took a wife. In that culture, the father had a lot to say about uh, what wife his sons took, and, and especially the firstborn son. And so Judah actually goes and find, finds a wife for Ur. And so Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn son, and her name was Tamar. 
Now, Tamar is a very important character in the Bible. We're actually going to see her when you get over to Matthew. Uh, you see her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She's the mother of Perez. Perez is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it says that Perez was the son of Judah uh, who was born to him through Tamar. And so, so she's part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So she is part of God's plan. She's part of Judah's plan to have children and grandchildren, but she's also part of God's plan. Uh, uh, but, she's, but Ur is not part of God's plan because Ur was a very wicked man. He was a dream killer. He stood in the way of God's plans, and, and, and that brings us to verse number 7. Uh, again, let me read 6 and 7 together. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Now, why was he wicked? He was wicked because he didn't do what God wanted him to do, and that was to have children with Tamar. Because Tamar was, hey, before the foundation of the world, uh, in the uh, part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and, and she was going to be part of the genealogy no matter what. But he didn't want to, he didn't like the wife that Judah had chose for him, so he refused to, 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 to have children with her. Now, watch this. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And what does the Lord do? The Lord killed him. I mean, it says right there, the Lord killed him. Now, we don't know exactly how he died, but we do know who killed him. It was the Lord that killed him. And we know why the Lord killed him, because he was wicked and he stubbornly stood in the way of God's vision for Judah and for the world. Now, a lot of people, and, and I hear it so much now on the news, and, and when I hear politicians talk and these so-called pastors of America talk, how, how God is a God of love, and God would never kill someone. Let me tell you what, God will kill a believer. John says in 1 John chapter 5, that there is a sin unto death. Now, what is that sin unto death? I'll tell you what the sin unto death is. I mean, we, we don't know the specific sin, but I can give you a generalization of what that sin is. The sin is standing in the way of the will of God. If you're a believer and you're standing in the way of the will of God, God will get you out of the way somehow or the other, and if he has to kill you, he'll kill you. And so God will kill someone if they're standing uh, in the way of his will. Now, that's why when something like this coronavirus comes along, people immediately attribute it to Mother Nature, and if you're a Christian, you attribute it to Satan. But we talked about this last week. If God is sovereign over all things, and God is sovereign over all things, the Bible tells us over and over and over again that he's sovereign over all things, then Everything is allowed, at the very least, if God doesn't cause it, it's allowed by God. So it fits his purposes, and his purposes are good. And that's what we've got to remember. I mean, what might not seem good to us can be something that's very good in God's eyes. Even this virus, it might not seem good to us. And I'm not saying God caused this virus, but God has allowed this virus. He might very well have caused this virus. But, but that doesn't matter. 
He's on his throne still. And it fits his purposes. And his purposes are good. But people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that. I heard the president at least two or three times in his last conference uh, or in his last presentation uh, say that, that, that he called it the evil virus, this evil virus that struck this world. And when we say evil, we, we're saying it's either caused by Mother Nature or it's caused by Satan himself. I was on a conference call this past week with about 500 pastors in Louisiana, and they had Bill Cassidy on there and Mike Johnson, the House of Representative guy from Shreveport, and, and Jeff Landry, the, the Attorney General, and they had them on there to answer our questions. And, and there were several people, actually when they sent out the memo about the conference, they call it the evil coronavirus. We're going to have a conference about the evil coronavirus. And then I heard several of the pastors who talked to call it the evil coronavirus. And then they gave the prescription for what the nation should do and what we should do as a church. And they quoted 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, that being the prescription for this evil virus. Now, now if you've got your Bibles, and you should have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. We've been here several times, but, but go back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and look at verse number 14. 2 Chronicles 7 chapter 14. Most of you have heard this so much you, you, you almost know it by heart. Here's the prescription. And I heard this several times. This is a prescription. And I personally think it is a prescription, but, it, but, you, but you can't. The prescription doesn't work if you don't understand the disease. If you don't understand what you're treating. If you call this an evil virus and you're saying uh, it's coming from Satan or Mother Nature, then the fight is against Satan and Mother Nature. And, and the prescriptions for taking care of Satan and Mother Nature. And, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says in verse number 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. Now there's certainly application for the church today because we are the people called by his name. We are Christians. We're, we're, we have the name of Christ in our very title that describes who we are. And so we are the people who are called by his name. And, 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 if, and if we turn away from our idols, as, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if we're seeking his righteousness, then we're going to turn away from wickedness. If we do that as a church, then God will hear our prayers and he will heal our land. And, 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 and I think that's a, that's a good prescription, but again, you've got to understand what the disease is, and I think everybody's got the disease wrong. I want you to go back and put this thing in context and look in verse number 13, and, and you'll, get, you'll understand the disease. It, it says in verse number, or where the disease comes from, the source of the disease. It, it says in verse number 13, when I shut up heaven, who's speaking there? The Lord. When I shut up in heaven and there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send a plague or a pestilence among my people. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You understand what that context means there, what verse 13 is telling us. It's telling us that until we acknowledge the fact that God might very well have sent this plague, then because he's displeased with us, I mean with all of us, with us who make, those of us who make up the church, he's displeased with us. And, and the formula, yeah, the, the, the prescription involves us, but, it, but the prescription is not going to work until we understand that we're part of the problem, that we're part of the reason maybe this plague has come upon our land, that judgment, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. I mean, it begins with us. And so uh, we, we have to come to a point as Christians where we look at our own lives and we confess our idolatry. I'll tell you what, the church is full of idolatry. And I'm not talking about the statues in the Catholic Church here. I'm talking about all the things we spend our time on that have nothing to do with God. We're, 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 we're full of idolatry, all of us. And, 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 and we're full of wickedness. We do evil things. and We think evil thoughts. And if we'll confess that, that, hey, Lord, part of the problem is us, and then we'll seek his face instead of seeking these idols. We'll, we'll set our minds on things above and not on things below, and we'll turn from our wicked ways. Then the formula will work, and, 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 and if we do that, God will heal our land. I believe that's how it works. And until we acknowledge that, i got to tell you, we keep blaming it on the devil and we keep blaming it on, on Mother Nature. We're not going to fix this. It's not gonna, only God can fix this. And we're not going to see it fixed. Now go back with me to Genesis chapter 38. And pick up in verse number 8. And so Ur is killed. So Judah says to Onan, you go into your brother at wife. You go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. Now he's wanting grandchildren. He's wanting to do the right thing by Tamar. And so he says, you go in there. And, and this is what's called the Leveret Law. Uh, it, 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 didn't, it wasn't law at this point. It becomes part of the Mosaic Law. But it, it was a custom in the Middle East long before it came part of the Mosaic Law. And basically what the, what the Leveret Law was, was that if, if a, a woman was widowed and, and uh, she had no children, and uh, her husband had a younger brother who wasn't married. The next youngest brother would marry, would marry her, even, and, and, uh, uh, even if he didn't want to. And he would have a child with her. And he would have children with her until he had a male heir for her. And then that heir would carry on the dead husband's line. And so, so it was a really good law, and it did become part of the Mosaic law. And Judah was doing the right thing here. But look at Onan here. He says, look at verse number, I mean, he had some evil sons. Look at verse number nine. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted his seed on the ground, lest he should not give an heir to his brother, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, and therefore the Lord killed him also. Remember, I told you this was X-rated. 
uh, or it was like a soap opera. And it's going to even get worse as we go through the rest of it in the coming weeks. But, but uh, uh, it's pretty bad here. Uh, and, and, and God didn't kill him because he admitted his seed on the ground. I'm not going to get into the details of that. But, but he didn't kill him because of that. He killed him because he was a dream killer like his brother. He killed him because he was standing in the way of God's will. And I got to tell you, that is an unhealthy thing to do, to stand in the way of God's will. Then in verse number 11, we pick up, and then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain in your, a widow in your father's house till my son Sheila is grown. He was a few years behind him. Give him a couple of years and you can marry him. But I got to tell you, at this point, Judah has no intention of giving Sheila to Tamar. I mean, she's like a jinx. She's like a black widow. I mean, she's, she seems to be cursed. For he said in his heart, he said, hey, I'm not going to give him to her lest he also die like his brother. So he just wanted her out of sight and out of mind. And so Tamar went and dwelt with her father's house. And as far as Judah was uh, concerned, he was done with her. And his dreams at that point were pretty much dead. He wasn't going to have any, any grandchildren. And then we'll look at one more verse here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll conclude this thing. Uh, he says in verse number 12, Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah didn't have any more children, and he needed to be comforted. Maybe is the way we should word that. And so he went up to the sheep herders in Timber. They were... They were shearing their sheep, and whenever they sheared their sheep, they had a big party. And so he, you know, to comfort himself, he wanted to join that party. And he and his friend Hera, the Adulamite, went there, and they partied. And something's going to happen up there. We're going to see the next time uh, in a couple of weeks we'll get there. Uh, we're going to see uh, the next time that, that uh, some really strange things are going to happen. So, so we, we'll stop here for today and... and uh, uh, pick up there next time but here's Judah and as far as he's concerned his dream of having any more children his dream of ever having any grandchildren is pretty much dead because of his dream killer sons but it's not dead God has a plan for him still God has a big plan for him God has a dream for his life that's going to be fulfilled now, most of you know uh, how the rest of the story in, ends, uh, we, we'll, we'll get into that later on. But Judah does have children. He has more sons. He has, doesn't just have one more son. He has twin sons, and he's going to have grandchildren from those sons. And, one of, and through one of those sons is going to come David, and through that line is going to come Jesus Christ. And so, so this is a very important story. Again, we'll get back to it next time. But, but, but the way these sons come back about, you know, is, is, is very strange and really you almost could call it evil. But every bit of it is part of the sovereign will of God working through his, through his providence. And in the end, God's will is, uh, comes forth exactly as God wants it to. Uh, Judah is in the line of David. Uh, he has a son who's in the line of David. And who's also in the line of the Messiah. And all of that was planned by God before the foundation of the world. Now, you can find some encouragement in that if you think about it. A lot of people, as I said in the introduction, see this virus. And you can't help but see it. 
as, as a dream killer. And, and the reason they see it as a dream killer, because I think a lot of people, they won't say it, but they actually see this thing as somehow being beyond God's control. I mean, you know, God can do a lot of things, but man, this virus, look at what it's doing to, to our economy. Look at what it's doing to the society. Look at all these people that are dying. I mean, this, this is just out of control. But God, we know God is sovereign. We know that God is omnipotent. That means he has all power to do anything he wants to do. So there is nothing that is out of his control. And here's what I want you to see. God is a dream maker. God is not a dream killer. That's that's not God's heart. God is about making dreams. He's not about killing dreams. And so I believe that this virus that we're experiencing right now are part of God's plan to make his dreams for us come true. And, and, and especially his dreams for uh, the eternal well-being of the people of this world. God loves this world. God so loved this world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves this world. He wishes that none should perish. He, he wants to see people more than anything else. Look, this world's going to be destroyed at some point by the by the lord there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth and we're gonna live in eternity and joy and bliss but and he wants everybody possible that could be there to be there and so what we're going through right now very well might be part of his dream for our eternal well-being now i'm starting to hear stories of people that you never would have thought it are getting out their bibles and they're seeking the Lord. I don't know if they're doing it on the right terms. That's where we want to help them, help them do that. But not seeking just an escape from this virus. That, that, won't get you, that might get you going to the right direction, but that won't get you all the way. You've got to recognize that you're a sinner. You've got to recognize that you need a Savior. You've got to recognize that you've offended a holy God. You've got to recognize that God Almighty came to this world and died for your sins. You've got to recognize that and believe that. But, but, but I'm seeing people that I never would have thought would have done it who are now getting out their Bibles and they're, they're, they're seeking God. So, 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 so man, if, if some of those people get saved, what a dream maker uh, God is that he would use this virus to, to, to do something like that. And, and a lot of us, hey, we, we don't see it that way. Some people see this thing, man, God is tired of this wicked America, this wicked earth, and he's just out setting out to to destroy everything he can. That's not true. You remember when the sons of thunder, James and John, they went and preached to some Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like what they said, and they got mad, and they came back to Jesus and said, Lord, we want to call down lightning and, and, and fire from heaven to destroy these people, these Samaritans. You remember what Jesus said? He said something very telling there. He said, you got the wrong spirit. You don't have my spirit. That's the wrong spirit. The son of man did not come to destroy man's life, but he came to save man's lives. He came to give mankind a dream and a hope, uh, uh, to give them a dream and a vision for, their, for this life and for, for eternity. That's that's why Jesus came to save us. He gave us, came to give us life abundantly. Not just, not just eternal life, but life abundantly in the here and now. And so, so, so that's, God's purpose in this isn't to destroy everything. That's, when, he want, when that comes, 
that'll be in the great tribulation when the church is removed. And, and the only thing, only people who are destroyed then at that point are the people who are totally uh, retrograde and totally rebelling against God. But that's not his purpose in this virus. We're not in the great tribulation now. But, you know, you got to ask the question, you know, Lord, this is pretty extreme. I mean, this is this virus is this virus is really, really bad. It's doing some terrible things to my life. And and I'm a Christian. And even I feel sorry for those people who aren't Christians. It's doing some terrible things to them. And and and, 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 and I mean, it's destroying the very structure of our society. We don't know what the society is going to be when all of this is over. If this thing goes on for six months or so, man, I'll tell you what, we're going to be living in a different world when we wake up six months from now. I mean, is it going to destroy our society? I mean, uh, it could be. We don't know yet. I mean, God is full of mercy. But if it does destroy our society, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be for our good. It's going to be hard to see it, but it's going to be for our good. You know, one of the, another passage I'm hearing quoted all the time during this, this virus is Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm sure you've heard it uh, being quoted recently. For, uh, let, me, let me read it to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Can we take that today and, and apply that to our lives? We certainly can. Because God is not a dream killer. He is a dream maker. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe he has a good plan for every single one of us. But here's where people grab that verse. And I've seen it on graduation. I think every graduation card just about has that uh, uh, stamped on it. Uh, you see it on all sorts of, of, of encouragement cards, and, 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 and rightfully so. But you can't forget the context of that verse. I mean, I mean, it's a great word of encouragement, but it came in context. If you remember what had happened, the Babylonians had come down to Israel, and they had virtually burnt the whole place down. And they had, had killed most of the Israelites, especially the wicked Israelites. And God knew where the wicked were. Remember, he said, you know, you can hide in a closet somewhere and I'm going to find you. I don't care where you hide. You can bury yourself in a hole. That we're gonna, I'm going to find you if you're one of these wicked people and you're going to be destroyed. And so it really was this remnant that was taken away to Babylon. And, 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 and here's Jeremiah. And he said, hey, man, you're in Babylon your, your, the temple's destroyed, the Jerusalem's destroyed, all the cities are destroyed, you're living in a foreign land, but God has, still has plans for you to give you a future and a hope, to give you uh, peace and prosperity, uh, to, to, to give you a dream for your life. But it's going to come in a different society. Society's not going to be the same as it was before. It's, you're in a different land, you're in a foreign land where you don't even speak the language, but I still have a dream and I still have a hope for you. I mean, that was the only hope they could possibly have. Things had gotten so wicked there. Brandon, in his study in Second Chronicles, we're starting to get into these really wicked kings, and when we get back to it, we'll see some of the terrible things that they were doing. They were taking their children and offering them to Molech, the God, burning their children alive. What hope did those children have? 
They had no hope. And even if they weren't burned alive and somehow they weren't chosen to be sacrificed, they grew up in a land where their brothers and sisters were being sacrificed. They grew up in a land where they, they were worshiping these foreign gods. They were, grew up in a land where, 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 where wickedness ruled and, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And they had no hope. And God, in his mercy, destroyed that society. He destroyed that society because he's a dream maker. He destroyed that society to give that remnant a hope. You know, the American society is very, very wicked. I, I, don't, I don't know what point we're at, but this society very well might have reached the point as past redeeming. I mean, I don't know. God's, God makes that decision, and God is so merciful, a lot more merciful than I am. You know, and maybe God's going to use this virus to help redeem this society. But maybe, I mean, I, I hate to say it, and I, I hate to be, a, I'm probably everybody's going to cut me off right now. The, the four or five people that are in here, they can't go anywhere, but, but you might cut me off. But, but God very well might use this virus to destroy the society that we've been used to because it's become so wicked that it's unredeemable. Again, I, 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 I don't know how you measure that because we're pretty doggone wicked and we compare pretty strongly to the society in, in the, days of Bab- the days when Babylon destroyed Israel. But I'll tell you this, whatever society we wake up to when this is all over, what we've got to remember as Christians is that God is still on his throne. And God has a dream and a plan for our lives. Maybe a different plan than we ever imagined. But he has a dream and a plan for our lives, for the lives of our children, and for the lives of our grandchildren. Boy, I got to tell you, I have little grandchildren, and, and, and I... For all my grandchildren, I look at this world and I, I want to weep. And I'm talking about before the coronavirus. I look at this world and think of what they're growing up to, the world that they're growing up to live in, and I just want to weep. It has gotten so bad out there. So bad. And if God takes this and he shakes this thing up and rebuilds a society where it's much better for them, then, then I'm all for it. If he totally destroys this society in order to redeem his remnant, I'm all for that too. In order to give them a better life. If he, if he destroys all this and comes back, that's, that's the best deal and raptures us out of here. But, but I, I still think we're away from that. But God is a dream maker. Remember that. He's not a dream killer. And he has a plan for our future. He has a, a hope for our future. He wants to give us a future and a hope. And that means that all of this, all of this is going to work together for the good of those who know the Lord, who love the Lord, and are called according to his purpose.
God's not a dream killer. He's a dream maker. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that you give us your word, you give us your spirit, Lord, so that we can see things through your eyes and we can see hope in the midst of darkness, the hope that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, we are all guilty of putting you somewhere below first. We're all guilty of letting other things be more important to us in our lives than you are. I heard somebody say the other day, Lord, that that one thing that you can't do is to be second to anything. You are first. You are. It's your kingdom and your power and your glory. Lord, as Christians, we've lost sight of that. We've made so many things. We've given importance to so many things other than to you. And Lord, I think we're suffering for that now. Lord, there's a formula there. If we'll turn from our idols, we make you first. And we seek righteousness and flee wickedness. That you'll heal our land. Lord, I pray that that happens before it's too late. But, Lord, no matter what happens, what happens in this, through this virus and what our country looks like when it's all over, Lord, we can know that it's going to work out for our good, that you do have a dream and a future for all of us. Lord, in this life and the life to come, Father, if there's anybody out there listening to this today that, that doesn't truly know you as their Savior, Lord, help them to see that no matter how good they think they are, in your eyes, they're wicked too. It's your righteousness that makes us righteous. And that we only can have your righteousness through the blood of Christ. Lord, we celebrate Easter this time of year. How important, what what an important story that is. Lord, that, that you would come and you would die for us and you would shed your blood for us. Father, I just ask that, that, that there's anybody out there that's standing on their own righteousness, that, Lord, you convict them of their sin right now, and you show them how far they are from the mark that you've set through Jesus Christ and his righteousness, and that the only way that we can go to heaven, Lord, is through by having your righteousness. So, Father, I ask you use this time as a time of reflection for all of us, to take inventory of where we're at. Have we truly been born again? Lord, if, or, if we're born again, are we, are, are, we, are we putting you first? Lord, now's the time for us to stand up and put you first in all that we do, every person. And Lord, if that happens, good things are going to happen to us and good things are going to happen in this world. We just thank you again for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.